Shall we introduce ourselves? Yes. Let's do, I'm Emma Rice. I'm the director of Orpheus in the Underworld, and I also co-adapted this operetta into the form that it is currently in. That's probably the best way of describing it. Hi, I'm Mary Bevan, and I'm playing Eurydice in this production. Who are you? Hello, I'm Willard White, <laughs> and, um, and I'm exploring Jupiter. Uh, I'm Ed Lyon, and I'm singing Orpheus. I'm Lucia Lucas, and I'm singing Public Opinion. Thank you. Thank you for standing in for me, Emma. Um, sorry, one of those perennial tube problems. Uh, but you guys have come down from West Hampstead, I assume. We have. So you did better than, than me, coming from <laughs> Chiswick. Um, well, well, welcome, everybody, to this opera preview. We're just a couple of weeks away from opening, aren't we? Uh, so obviously, sounding in fine fettle already. Yes. Um, uh, how long have you been in rehearsal for? We've been in rehearsal for four weeks. This is the beginning of our fifth, which I think is, is generous, isn't it, for opera? Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah. 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 Um, and, and of course, this isn't your first opera. Or, or is it? It is your first. Your I've, you've made me, you've bamboozled oh, me, Oh, right, Mark. right, right. No, sorry. I think it is my first opera. It is your first. I, I, I Unless got... you know something that I don't know. <laughs> <So>. I've, <laughs> I have done musicals. Musicals, yes. Um, but it's not the same the, thing, the very, I can tell the, you. The very brilliant Romantics Anonymous at, yes. the, at the Globe, uh, Some Want to Make a Playhouse, which yes. uh, uh, should have gone further, but hasn't, not yet. Indeed. And um, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, which I think should have been um, billed as an opera, yes. because it's sung through, it's like a jazz opera. So. Yeah. So what attracted you to, to, to do this, to sign up for this opera? Daniel Kramer attracted me to do this. <laughs> um, and, very... and, and then left. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a sort of synchronicity because um, when I was at the Globe, I was the artistic director of Shakespeare's Globe for an ill-fated two years. And um, Daniel came and did an extraordinary production of Romeo and Juliet for me. Yes. And then he got the job at the ENO and he said, I did yours, will you come and do mine? So it was a swap. Was a we swap. swapped, yeah. Yes. I no longer work at the Globe, he no longer is here, so it's a perfect synchronicity. Um, but I wasn't sure. The, the, it's worth saying that when he asked me to come, I was very reticent. I wasn't sure that I would be a good fit for opera. Um, and I, I, I said this to him. I said, look, for you, I'd do almost anything, but I'm not sure it's a yes. wise idea. And then he said, would you like to do Orpheus in the Underworld? And I thought, damn him. I love Offenbach. And in fact, I made um, a piece of work very early on in my directing career. I'd been a performer for a long time. And I was about 30, and I made a production of The Red Shoes. And it was very arty. They were all in clogs and underpants and shaved heads. But I used Offenbach all the way through it because I felt, and Kachaturian, I felt that they were the two things that were irresistible to dance to. Yeah. So when he offered me this, I couldn't resist. And on top of that, the idea that there would be four different Offenbachs um, with one designer, I, I felt... Um, supported by the fact it was such an ambitious idea. I thought I'm, I'm part of something bigger than just being, yeah. trying my first opera. But doesn't that restrict you in the sense that you have to subscribe to, um, to one person's vision? It hasn't restricted me at all. And, <laughs> and, and none of this, because Lizzie Clacken has ended up designing four very different operas. Right. I think it um, has proved 
problematic to the budget, right? But not artistically. Oh, so because I originally thought that it was, it was designed like a unit set with one designer across. I four. think so. Did everybody else? <laughs> yeah, but yeah. that didn't. You know, you can't you can't confine the creative spirit. Yes. So for diverse artists like we are, there was no way that we were going to have a yeah. similar vision. So. Right. Uh, but for you, casting opera because you've not worked with opera singers then. That's true. Um, was that uh, a challenge? Well, I didn't meet many. It was mostly cast for me. And um, I'm very happy to say that I did meet Ed and Lucia um, yes. and Keel Watson about... Mm, I want to say... Years. How, how many years ago was it? Over two years ago. Um, I was told that opera singers, good opera singers, get booked up very, very early. So yes. you had to... And at this point, there was no script. There was no adaptation. Nobody could give me the definitive um, Orpheus in the Underworld to listen to. So I was casting pretty much blind at that point, and I cast three people, and I didn't meet anybody else. That was done by the um, casting, casting department. department. Right. So one responsibility less, in a sense. Yeah, but very odd. I think it was my. It was certainly the most nerve-wracking first day yes. of my entire career because you. I've never not just had a coffee with the people that are going to come into the room and said, are you up for the journey? Yes. So I think I felt more like the new girl than I'm used to feeling. And your working method might be very different to the way they work. Indeed. But, you know, I'm, I'm here to change as a challenge to myself, so I'm not yes. here to impose my theatre process on yes. something that's clearly very different. So I'm yeah. learning and changing. How, how, is, how different is it? In what ways is it different? It's hugely different... Um, it's filled with fun and it's filled with music and it's filled with creativity. Which is all like all your shows. Yes. So those <laughs> yes. are the, the similarities. But the music is, is a thing. Yeah. And it's undeniably a thing. Um, and I use that word with, with care. You know, it's a huge, existing, emotional um, personality in the room and of course every singer brings, brings with them their own emotional creative yes. personality to that thing and this and and I think I'm I'm sat in awe thinking well I now have custody of it yes. but I don't in the same way feel that it's all mine yeah. but there's been a real synthesis Emma hasn't there of um uh of y you're incredibly open to the the difficulties and the necessities uh, that are imposed upon us by having to sing opera. Um, and yet you've brought your own uh, amazing kind of process. There's a, it's, quite, it's been quite an improvisatory experience as much as anything else. And obviously you can't improvise the music, but because it's text, this is why Emma's been so brilliant for us, is that we've had an opportunity as actors to really start making and moulding something in that process. So it's not been... You haven't arrived with a... As we normally do, we arrive with a thing and we go, right, this is what we're doing, and then we shape it over the time, we're actually moulding something at the same time. And that's been, that's been magical for me, I have to say, as an experience. It really has. And that's where, you're, thank you, and that's true, but that's where there is a similarity, which yeah. is because this operette has been rewritten and I've written the text, is the actors have absolutely grasped those characters and helped me understand some things that are quite baffling as well. I'm, I'm at the foothills. We hit, there's a bit in Act 4 which continues to baffle me. There's a bit when they dance a minuet um, 
and Cupid sings an aria and I for the life I'm getting there today I, I felt a breakthrough <laughs> but that's where they're helping me understand this material and we're we're still working on it together so the version's not final even now no <laughs> right well this is where it gets hot you know I always think making work is like cooking and you've got all your ingredients and you start mixing them and you start experimenting yes. with them but it's only when you it's it's beginning to get to a heat now where it's bubbling together but normally when when you guys do operas you know you arrive with a ready text and a ready uh uh, libretto in, in hand so yeah. this is a very unusual and different process for you. Yeah we have to be quite quick about um, forgetting what we've learnt and then relearning it um, but actually I don't think it's been that I mean I don't know there's a lot of talking in text which actually is something we're not very used to doing yeah. as opera singers because you tend to remember words easier when you've got music attached to them because it's yeah. obviously it's sort of aid uh, for memory and there isn't an aid in this, so it's just a little bit more challenging, but um, it's a good challenge. And especially with some of these have been newly written, uh, these words. Yeah, almost all. Oh, no. yes. yes, all yeah, of them have been. been. Yeah, yes. they're all new. Yeah. So yeah. A, a brand new. I mean, presumably there's a template in the sense that you know, guys know the music. The music has existed. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's yeah. what Emma was saying, is, is that there is this, that the music is, is kind of uh, so important and... and um, and it's so extraordinary that you can't it, that in in essence can't be molded in the same way but what's yes. so nice is that we've got the we've got all the dialogue which we can which we can play with and find new characters it's going to be it'll be it's a very different version isn't it emma from from the kind of classic offenbach orpheus and eurydice hate each other and uh it's a kind of romp from beginning to end would you say that's yes much more real, I, yeah i think I knew the myth, I didn't know the operetta, and there's a, it, I started reading and experimenting with different versions, because Offenbach wrote a two-act version and a four-act version, and it ran over many, many years. He, it was a blockbuster, it was the Hamilton of its time, and mm -hmm. there was a bit when he thought, um, the audience figures are going down a bit, I better write another couple of acts and sort of stimulate box office. So that it's, it's, not, it's like a Shakespeare play, in that there's lots of notations, but there's not a definitive... Yeah version but when i read it it seems to be based on a central joke which is isn't it funny if a married couple hate each other and yeah. i didn't find that very funny so that we've completely pulled that joke out and um looked at what might cause a young couple to find their relationship difficult and what are the triggers to that and it's become really emotional i cry every time at the end every time so it's quite a modern take in other words it's is quite it, a timeless is it take i think it's, yeah. it's sort of modern but timeless and um the problems that they experience are problems that many of us probably either have experienced ourselves or you know yeah. seen or it's it's real it's not like it's not um, what's the word? Throwaway, um, flippant. Yeah. Mm. I think you know when you think about the myth. If you asked anybody who knew the the myth, what's it about? And they would say it's when he turns around and he sees her and she's lost. That's the moment. Yes. And I said, didn't I, on day one? I said I want people to cry. I want people to want that relationship to work so much that that will be a terrible loss to us. So that's been the yeah. the I think the the big challenge. And then we did other things. I've shuffled the numbers in Act Two to make a bit more, to give a bit more narrative shape. Yeah. So it's all very recognisable, but it's, it's a little bit like a pack of cards that's been slightly reordered. Right, right. Yeah. I was 
I was going to say that um, in the beginning, I don't think that I think that the first five minutes is probably character development that we never see happen, that we just assume existed. Like something happened in the past where where there's a couple with a bad relationship. But normally we start the opera with this bad relationship. But showing that shows the humanity of the story. Yeah. Have any of you done have any of you done the music before? I have. You have? I played Venus at university. <laughs> I don't recognise any of this though. Uh, you recognise the music? Mm, not no, even that. Not really. <laughs> I, was, I was so confused when uh, I got the music because I thought, oh God, just maybe I just didn't remember because I was like, I don't know, 19 or something. Or drunk. Or drunk, most yeah. probably. <laughs> um, but yeah, I did Venus and uh, I think I remember the Venus tune, but that was basically it. They're so, so different. But there are so many different versions of it and that's the whole yes. point of operetta. You do have to rewrite it each time, each, I think. Yeah. That's and you've done it as well before. Yeah, I did uh, Mercury in college, and then I did a German version um, when I was just starting out in Germany. And again, did you recognize it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, I cut I Mercury for a start, so oh, right. Mercury's right. gone, and Morpheus, and there's a, another Vulcan, god. Vulcan. There's, um, um, there's three M's I cut. Anyway. So it's very much a sort of archival process as well. I mean, it's a rewrite, mm. a total rewrite. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I used the skills that I've developed over many years, which is what is the story you want to tell and how yes. can I tell it um, to the, in the best way that I can. Yeah. And with an absolutely open heart, I love it. I love it and I love the story. But there were some ancient jokes which I felt didn't serve... <laughs> us anymore and why should a piece of work last for over a hundred years in, in its exact form yeah yeah which was of course the challenge that the gauntlet that you threw down at the globe in some ways ah yes <laughs> <laughs> where, where hangs another tale but Indeed. uh but yes that that we, we won't linger on that but coming over to a brand new um environment like this is a huge challenge for for you um, it, it's a much bigger house than you're normal, you normally work in. Yeah, but I love big pictures. I, I, I've always had a big aesthetic. My, I'm, I cut my directorial teeth in Cornwall with a fantastic company called Knee that I was with for over 20 years. And there's no, there were no theatres in Cornwall, so I directed outdoor theatre for the beginning of my career, which means big gestures, big emotions, as few words as possible, and lots of music. So I yeah. think it's going to be a good fit. Yeah. And we wait and see whether everybody else agrees. But it doesn't, it doesn't daunt me, a big stage. And I, I love it. I love the, the big metaphorical images that you can make. And well, now, this is a familiar space for you, very familiar space. Uh, it is, indeed, <laughs> yes. You've, but, but you've also worked in lots of other areas. I mean, for example, Shakespeare. You're no stranger to Shakespeare either. Well, um, I've dabbled a little. I can't say that, you know, I'm delved into the depths of it because yeah. I've done one play, but I've had a good taste. Yeah. yeah. Um, so coming home to Eno, it's very much a sort of homecoming, isn't it? It is. It is, actually. I, I like coming here. Um, uh, you, haven't, you haven't done this, this piece before? Because the, the... I've never seen it before, no. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I'm still trying to get my hands around it because Jupiter is quite a challenge. Right. Yeah. In, in what ways? Well, who plays God? How do you play God? And God of gods. Yes, yes. That's either arrogance or a wonderful truth to grapple with. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but presumably working on this, it's, it's like working on a new opera, 
because given that it's a, a such such a radical a totally changed version it's like working with a new i mean you've identified it as unrecognizable from what you did before how you've worked on new operas you've worked on classical operas how how is it to work on 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 this which is a hybrid of the two well for me you know every opera even though i've done the piece before it's it's new to me because my attitudes change and many things that change about my my perspective my voice changes and and so i have a new slant but uh, with this piece, uh, uh, it's a new journey. It's all of them. Are, it's a psychological journey for me, and I'm fascinated by all the pieces, whether new or old. In every piece, a man has expressed his feeling through yes. the composer and his the lyrics, and then I'm there interpreting, and I discover things or uncover things about my own persona, and that's all I actually have to work with, just yes. me and how I relate to it. Yeah. Um, and work with the help of a, of a director, obviously. It's a, yes, it's a fantastic it's a reflection because the director has an idea and presents it to me. I have another idea um, and the two marry to present maybe a, another aspect of the dream. Yes. So uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a special creative environment for me. And Emma, working with opera singers, is that very different from working with actors? No, we have, we have a great time. Uh, I would, yeah, they're all actors. <laughs> they're with the same joys and the same frustrations. It's yes. lovely. It's absolutely delightful. Uh, and the music, I mean, the thing that you don't get in theatre mm. is when that wall of sound happens. Or, mm. and, and that, I mean, I've, I'm usually speechless, aren't I? And of course, we've got the chorus of 44. So there are times when I've got 54 people on stage. I mean, I don't know what to say. Yes. It's extraordinary. So, but, but the personalities. Yes. Fabulous. Because those are the numbers you do not get in theatre, 54 no. people on a stage. No, you do not. Yeah. And um, certainly not in your other musical theatre, because you've done musicals. Yeah. It, it's a very different discipline, again, to musicals. It is, yes. Uh, it's, it's more about the music. Oh, sorry, Willard. It's, no. more, it's more about the music. I mean, in musical theatre, it's very much about the, the dancing and the moving and the... Um, and this is so much about that, the, the elevated musical state. Yeah. It, it's up another gear and another notch. Yeah. So I've definitely asked people to do things and yeah. you say, well, you can't really sing a top A on that, in that position <laughs> or don't walk in front of somebody. Now, you know, I'm learning yes. some good rules, but that is, they're, they're, it's, it's a, as I say, it's a new, important, amazing thing that I'm so, listening to. So there are some technical challenges. Willard, you were going to say? Well, you know, in my little dabble with the play, with, the, with Othello, that was, um, it's really, I found it really fascinating that there's no one out there in front doing this <laughs> and tell you, and, and so you could take the liberty of, of um, making your line a little bit shorter or making the gap, but um, Trevor had installed the two second rule that there's no gap supposed to last longer than two seconds. Yes. So the lines keep going. But even then, they're so different to opera because the play has a, a life of its own every night. Every night it's almost a different place. Yes. And uh, that is fascinating. That doesn't happen in opera. And in the opera, if you drop a cue, there's a conductor still going and then your <laughs> colleagues and the music is there. In the play, oh, it's, hideous. Yeah. it's yeah. an empty hideous. space. Yeah. And, but that's uh, funny from my point of view because I, I started using the term saying, let's do a stagger through. When the, when the music starts, there's, yeah. it doesn't stop. It just keeps going. So you have to... You have to cool it down a bit. Yeah, there's no stagger. There's no stagger. <laughs> just get on board and yeah. ride it.
But that's the other thing. The, the key participant in the in the opera house is the conductor as well. Yes. I mean, that's somebody you don't defer to in the th- in the theatre. No. In the same way, um, how's that relationship for for you? Well, it's great. Sean is a very um, calm, warm presence in the room. I don't. I feel that she's been very um, respectful to me. So we yeah. we haven't had any clashes, have we? Although you haven't seen us outside the room. It's vicious, I can tell you. <laughs> vicious. No, it's very, very... And, but I think this is where... I think she's really waited to see what world we're created. But I'm, in, I'm expecting her to go full on into pole position when we hit the big theatre next well, door. When, when you get into tech and... And, yeah. uh, and the orchestra. And the orchestra. Oh, yeah. So you have, you've not done a Zitz probe yet? We have. You have? Yeah, yeah, it was early. Yeah. Oh, so you do that early on. So you know, you know what it will sound like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they, in, in in New York at the Met, they always rehearse the other way, almost the other way around, which is they they tech the show entirely before the first rehearsal. I mean, mm. they literally tech it without before the director has has blocked it. So the director has to kind of effectively block it before he gets to the first rehearsal. This would not work for you. I don't understand the words you're saying. <laughs> well, that would be a disaster, isn't it? Because I still say every day, I don't know. Yeah. You know, there's a question. I love the question. I love. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, that's when what I call the collective imagination kicks in. Yeah. So I love your, your, your scheduling face. There oh. was one excellent rehearsal where Emma had to do her scheduling for, for the, the on-stage sections where, of course, you know, it's kind of already organised. And she just looked at me and went, oh, I don't know what I'm going to be doing in two weeks. <laughs> I don't know where we'll be. <laughs> I was like, yes, you do. <laughs> well, because normally, normally your opera rehearsals are scheduled with, with every scene and everything blocked in. Yeah. yeah, but that involves somebody knowing how long a scene's going to take. Yeah. Um, yeah. We change the call a lot, I have to say. I think I'm probably annoying everybody. Because we make the... Um, so in theatre, you make the call at six o'clock... The day before. The day before. Here, I'm making a call on Tuesday, and I'm deciding what they're going to be doing a week on Friday. I mean, it's just an act of total imagination. <laughs> <laughs> and, you've had, and, you've, and you've had to do that. I have had to do that, yeah. I've tried. And, uh, I've tried to... And then changed it. At yeah, the, then yes, changed it. Yes. Um, so for you guys, it must be a very different process, working with a director who is finding their, their, their feet in this way. I've done quite a few operas with theatre directors. Right. So actually, uh, this is really familiar feeling. Yeah, yeah, I would say so too. Yeah, it, it's, it's just uh, a diff- another way, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And every director works in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Because somebody like Trevor Nunn, who you mentioned, the, the Othello that uh, you did was directed by Trevor Nunn. Yeah. He's worked in both opera and uh, theatre. And, and, work- musical. and musicals. Yeah. And you, of course, worked with him famously on Porgy and Bess as well, which is yeah. a bit of a hybrid of a musical and an opera. Um, so you, you worked with, with, with somebody in both, wearing both hats. Um, so working this time, is, has, has that been an interesting difference experience? Well, it's, it's, it's a different, ex- different experience on the paper and, and the description of the job um, requirement, but actually when you're relating human to human and you know, the creative and how to create a scene, yeah. how to develop, it's, um, it's similar in a way because you don't have a template for everyone to follow. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's creative. But also you were signing up this time around for something you didn't know exactly what it was going to be. Yes. So that's, that's a big challenge as well. Well, well I mean, do we, I mean not, I'm not sure we ever really know what it's... You know, when we turn up, we don't really ever know what it's going to be. I mean, sometimes you turn up and it's very trad. Uh, and sometimes you turn up and somebody says, right, particularly on the continent, right, this is what we're going to do. And 
the mind boggles. But then you get there and you get used to it. And often you find it then quite difficult to imagine the piece being any other way. I mean, this yes. is my first Orpheus in the Underworld. And I, I find it very difficult to go back to something which is basic, which is much more, um, uh, which is just the basic satire. Because we've got, Emma's introduced, it seems to me that we've kind of kept the satire of the gods and kept the human, but, but made the human interaction incredibly real, which, which, which gives a kind of, which is so moving and, and it's so brilliant when, you, when it's in with, the, with this very upbeat music, and there, but there are people kind of trapped in this incredibly upbeat music. Yeah. Um, uh, so it'll be difficult for me to imagine it another way. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. What is it like coming to perform in a smaller space when you've been obviously been rehearsing it in a not a space bigger than this, but now bringing it down, as it were? I really like doing that because um, I like to see people's expressions on their faces and feel really connected yeah. to the audience. So it's, it's just like doing a sort of recital. Recital. Yeah. It's more. It's more often that we sing in situations like this than than that. Yes. So feeling it cl up close is good because then two weeks later you can imagine that people are making those same faces if you know what I mean yeah, and, you're, yeah. and you feel connected to the audience even though you can't really see them. Yeah, yeah. Because this is a, a, a challenging house. And it's a, it is. It's huge. Yeah, the most, I would say. Yeah. There's a space downstage left, uh, uh, the sweet spot. There yes, everything. You'll know it because uh, Willard will be in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a joke. <laughs> so Willard's not told you where that is because he wants to keep it for himself. <laughs> no, no, no. He means downstage right, but he's lying. <laughs> <laughs> this is famously the case in many theatres, isn't it? I mean, the Olivier is always is always said at the Olivier, the National, is said to have you know the spot. Um, is this the case? Do you find in your in theatres you've worked in? There, there is really I mean I've never heard of there being one downstage left that's a new one yes. to me um, but there is there's always a moment where you think this is the absolute sort of it's like ley lines yes. of the theatre this is where they meet this is the perfect powerful spot but of course not everybody needs to be powerful that's where storytelling comes in is you can yes. you can avoid that spot as much as try and inhabit it right right so it's your job as director to steer them to Yes. Uh, the right spot. Yeah, now I've, I've, I haven't heard about this downstage left thing. thing really. Oh, is it? But why, why would it be off centre? Well, no, it's not. It's in the centre, I know, because no when I did my audition here as a, ch as a child, <laughs> no, as a young woman, um, someone told me where the sweet spot was, and it's not downstage left. I think another baritone's told you that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know, because when I sang in the, in the sweet spot, um, John McMurray said, uh, could you step forward, please? As in, he knew what I was doing and he wanted to hear what I was like, not in the sweet spot. So, what make What makes the sweet spot sweet? You just sound louder. It's like sometimes yeah. when you're... Um, it's like if there's the acoustic, a, yes, the, yes. Acoustic. the architecture. Yeah, exactly. It it's just where, it, sure, it's where it hits, isn't it? It's not always in the middle, though. It's, yeah. often, it's often slightly off. Off towards the centre, but off to the side, and you suddenly get this sensation of the oh, sound kind of massive. hitting the walls and going round, mm, and yeah. it's really like, yeah. oh yes, I'm not which moving, you, not you, moving from here. <laughs> which you never get at the Barbican, for example. Mm. No, it's dead. Yeah. <laughs> why? Because it's all dead. Oh. <laughs> which 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 is why LSO want to build a new concert hall, presumably. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so coming back to to ENO for for you guys, um, it's become a. a 
favourite, obviously a favourite performing space. Uh, apart from the sweet spot, what are the other attractions to working for ENO? Well, I'm good friends with all the makeup people and the backstage, <laughs> you know, the costume people. And when you go back, you feel, you do feel like a family. I know everyone always says that, but I always feel that um, you see the same familiar faces, Martin, and we just, everyone's really friendly. I've always found that here. And it is a huge place, but you don't feel like that. Um, whereas at the Opera House, it's like a huge machine and you just kind of get sucked into it and spat out and then you go yeah. on with your life. Whereas ENO, you sort of, it's like going home a bit. And yeah. Yeah. But this, isn't there an element as well? I, I've, I've only sung at ENO once before, um, but I've sung at the Opera House quite a lot. And I mean, it's a great honor to be there, but there is this, always a sense that this is, our, this is the National House and what they're doing up the road is, is, our, is our kind of... Um, uh, you know, it's it, it, uh, on an, uh, an international. Uh, you know, th that's our kind of a house, international house, and then this is. But this is the national house. This is the English National Opera. And I remember coming to see, part of, as a member of Opera Society, I was quite a nerd, um, and uh, I would come to Opera Society, and they were all, they would always bring us here. And I remember my, you know, my two you know, greatest kind of memories of, com of, uh, of coming to opera were here and not, not, not at Covent Garden. The, the, I saw the Midsummer Night's Dream, uh, the Robert Carson Dream in about 1995 and thought, I want to be in that. And that was a really big moment for me because I thought, no, I, I, I want to be in that space and I want to be in that show. I actually got to be in it, which was really exciting. I got to do that in Lyon and in Athens. Um, but uh, In that production? In that production, yeah. Right. Um, but, but I think that's a special thing about it. Would, would you agree, Willard? Um, yeah, there's that special thing, but the very, for me, one of the most important thing about the ENO is the clarity with which um, the rehearsal structure is made, the attention the stage management crew takes with the, with the cast and the relationship with the directors, and so, and there's a, an integrity that is there that you actually maybe take for granted. But I remember doing a, a Lulu here a few years ago, a couple of years ago, and it went to Rome. Whoa. They, 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 they could change the set here overnight. And we went to Rome and it would take a week for, to get the whole set to start with, and then to dismantle it and there, there's a lack of attention, and it, that happens in other theatres too, a lack of attention to props. For example, a pistol I, I had, which had a, the pin, shoot the pin um, removed, but it could be adapted if, get, if it got into the wrong hands. In, in Italy and other places, it's a sort of carefree situation. Here it would never happen. Immediately you're finished with such an instrument, it is collected by somebody from the armory and is dealt with. So there's a professionalism that exists here, which um, is great and generates efficiency and uh, the ease of directors to relate to the technical yeah. crew and so on is, is very high standard here. And presumably also the loyalty of the audience is a factor. Um, I don't know yet. <laughs> I hope so, yes. <laughs> Um, which is what the, the, the friends of ENO are all about. Um, but this is, I mean, the, what's wonderful is, is I've been doing these events for a while now, um, and I see some, a lot of familiar faces here. Um, and you come to ENO and you see familiar faces. There are times when you go to other theatres where you don't see that. Um, and that's a, a key difference. There is one woman that you see everywhere, 
<laughs> you speak from experience. <laughs> I wonder how many, I've got a question for the people here. How many people do you think will come and see all four Orpheuses? Oh look, all four, how amazing, that's amazing. And I think that will be really fascinating as well to see four different interpretations of the same story. Mm, I'd like to see it. Mm. <laughs> how closely have you worked with the other directors, if at all? Um, well, we've had we've shared um, production meetings, yes. which have been like sort of rugby scrums. There's been so many of us, but I have to say, Wayne McGregor is very elusive, and I haven't met him yet. Uh, right. But the others we have. Yeah. So you feel part of a project. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and we've got quite a sort of. Uh, family feel we we because you know these projects this has been building for two years and in fact coming back to this building this is where we've had all the early design meetings yes, so yes. you know we've the four directors have got a good relationship and yeah yeah uh, of course the frustration of opera is that you and do all this work and only for a very mm. limited mm. number of performances we've got loads we? yeah we've got 12 loads for opera for opera that's that is loads but if you spoke about that in theatre terms... I know, I'm, I'm trying to <laughs> take my chin off the floor. Yeah. I did do, I did do um, uh, uh, My Fair Lady in Paris, uh, and we did do about 36 shows uh, over a month, just over a month, and that was, um, that was an interesting experience. But you get into a totally different rhythm with it because you, you turn up and you, you, you marshal your, your resources in a totally different way when you're doing eight shows a week. Um, uh, also, when you're doing HS Week, you're being amplified usually, aren't you? Uh, well, not in that. No, no, not, not no in it was family. it was with a full it was a full symphony orchestra. It was it was quite quite extravagant, really. Yeah. Um, with some amazing actors, Alex Jennings and uh, Maggie Tyzak and people. Yes. Um, but it was a really amazing experience. But no, we weren't. I mean, we were mic'd for the dialogue, but not really for the singing. No. Right. Right. So so, so well, uh, Alex was. But so a very <laughs> legit musical theatre experience. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Yeah. But the single thing that I'm most surprised at is that you um, open on your first night. That's yes. the thing. In theatre, no you have many previews. I mean, I would say I'm used to between five and eight, but the big musicals will preview for a month, okay. even two months, to make sure that it's absolutely perfect. And I can't quite believe that we're going to open cold on the first cold day. and that's it and then i go home which yes. is i'll be hanging out at stage door saying how's it going <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly shall i open it up to some questions there's a mic coming around for anybody who wants it no questions oh we've answered everything there's one there sorry i've got one question there's a lot of changes um, in store, obviously. Has the can-can been retained? And how do you work with a choreographer? Uh, do you just hand over those dances to somebody else completely? Or how do you synchronize your thoughts on that? Well, we've certainly retained the can-can. There was no way that we weren't going to have the can-can. The choreographer is a brilliant choreographer called Etta Murphitt who's the Associate Artistic Director of New Adventures, Matthew Bourne's um, company. And she is literally the best um, storytelling choreographer I think there is. Um, and so we've worked very closely for many years. So we've got a very similar aesthetic, a very similar way of working with a group. <coughs> and we talk about it, but we, we, she, I, I trust her completely and then I throw in ideas. 
but we're both working out how you can allow these musicians to do their primary job, which is to sing, and then see how much movement we can get underneath it. So certainly the chorus sessions, I think the first few, they felt like the movement was going to be quite ambitious, but I think now it, we're, it's locking in. It's getting really, really exciting. Do you have any dancers who are just dancers? No. No, because often that happens here. Yeah, well, I did ask, and the answer was no. But I'm quite, I was quite happy with that. I th you have to ask these questions... And the answers are always right. That's, yes. that's something that I've mm -hmm. learned over time, is that what happens is the right thing to happen. So I'm very pleased. And there's something miraculous about the chorus, in that all of life is in the chorus. All ages, all sizes, all shapes. Yeah. And there's something... Um, and you don't often see that in musicals. Everybody's sensational, aren't they? And there's, there's something fantastically earthy. And of course, they're all amazing musicians, but there's something fantastic when it starts to work together that is truly thrilling and is truly what a chorus is. Yes. Is there another question? There's one down here. I'm very interested in your taxi, actually. <laughs> is it your idea or is it the taxi going down the road? Or what does it do? The taxi is my idea. It was my first idea. And... Um, I've held on to it and it, they, it was questioned fairly recently because it's quite difficult to get a taxi onto stage and spoiler it also flies to the top of Olympus at one point and it would have been very easy to cut the taxi and I said I will cut everything else but I will not cut the taxi. I think um, so Lucia who sang at the beginning who sang Public Opinion I love the character of Public Opinion it's absolutely the Greek chorus and um, I thought, who is public opinion? And it is the taxi driver, and it makes it very British. It, it, it really, we know that person, don't we? They, you always, they always tell you what they think, or um, and don't get involved, which is what public opinion always says, is that I'm just here to comment, I'm not gonna get involved. So that felt like it really rooted the world for me. And I, the text's gonna all be about the taxi, because it's gonna be quite difficult <laughs> getting it on and off. <laughs> and then setting it on fire at the end. We can do. Would you like to do the duet? Yeah, there's one more. One oh. more question, then we'll do. Uh, my, my question is a follow-up to the taxi driver. Really, that public opinion usually is pretty topical and has some current um, lyrics in it. And I wondered if you have adapted it to the current political situation, or if you're expecting to change it. As the, as, the, you know, as the story progresses in politics and uh, week by no, week? No, this isn't set in the modern day. It's set in the 1950s, which was... I'm often drawn to the 1950s. And I think it's because it's in a slightly magical world that, that isn't saying this is now, this is contemporary, but is, you can reach out and touch it. You can, I can touch my mum and dad. I can touch my grandmother at that time. And I, I think it was a really interesting time because it was post-war, everybody was trying to become happy again. There was a lot of energy to try and heal the wounds. And I felt that this tragedy would sit really beautifully in a time where people were trying to be glamorous, but actually uh, there was a lot of scars under the surface. So, no, I haven't put Brexit jokes in. Um, but that's not a joke either, is it, at the moment? So um, I really wanted to honour the Greek roots of it. So I feel that our public opinion is very much what a chorus is, which is the ordinary person saying, I don't know what to do, but this is how I feel. And it, but in fact, public opinion's very mm. touching because he does say, come on, you can't just let your marriage go. He's, he's, he does get involved, which I love very much about that character. 
fascinating that you love a period before you were born. <laughs> yes. I think, yes. But I think it is, it's to do with my relationships. You know, I, my, my, all my grandparents survived the war. And I listen to those stories and I, you know, and I watch the films, you know, I grew up when there were only three channels and I watched those 1950s films, films. all the time, you yeah. know, so I, I do find it a romantic time and a romantic time politically, which yeah. matters to me. And visually as well, isn't it? Yeah, because then you get some great frocks as well. <laughs> yes, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Guys, if, is, there, is there any last burning question before yeah. we... That's actually, it becomes twice that tune. The tune is when Eurydice dies, that she sings that, that aria, and then it comes back at the end. In this version. In this version, the two of us. But it is before, that's what... Um, but it is before he, that they sing that, and we're so happy they're together, and then it, he looks back, and he loses her. <gasps> I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a different spot to where it is in other versions? The, yes, the Orpheus reflecting the death song yes. is new. Yeah. So that was a, 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 another of your bold, bold decisions. Yeah. And the violin, the, the violin is, much, is, um, is peppered in. We've got the violin playing in the overture because it feels like that's his romance. And anyway, yes, so musically we've... So it's been reorchestrated. Re the ENO really helped yeah. me and the ENO team to understand this music and to, to put it into shape. Yeah. So I've had an amazing experience with the music team. It's not reorchestrated. I mean, all, all of the music is often Bach's just Emma has reshaped the order of the... The, 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 the narrative. The narrative. Yes. The, the, the music, we haven't composed any music. We've just yes. reconfigured. Right. <laughs> So one of the joys of working with an expert team, presumably. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Yes, I could talk all night. But when you say, what if we move this here, then people will say, oh, well, you don't want to do that because of the key, <laughs> but what if you did that? And something yeah. even more amazing happens. Yeah. And your actors, have they participated in that too? Yeah. Moving things around. Oh, I, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Every, every day we shift things around. Yeah. So it must be very freeing for, for you guys. Yeah, it's awesome. It is. Yeah. It's really, really lovely. We we um, we feel very free to to suggest things. Both Sean and um, Emma are so collaborat collaborative, um, <clears throat> which is something that's not always. I'll be honest with you, the case in opera. Sometimes there's somebody who tells you how fast it goes, and somebody who tells you where to stand, and somebody who tells you how to pronounce it, and somebody else who tells you what to wear. And yeah. it, it one can feel a bit kind of. Um, disempowered but I'd say we feel very much the opposite as Good. part of this Good. really. I'm sure sometimes you think just make a decision Emma just but I will <laughs> all in the right time <laughs> so thank you all for, for participating in this and thank you all for coming we look forward to the first night me too thank you for coming thank you thank you, thank you.